And thank you so much for joining us tonight. And wow, 30 years. Oh, my goodness, 30 years. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? Most youth seminars, retreats, conferences that are initiated nationally, if, if, they, if they make it to their 10th anniversary, that is a very, very long shelf life. Uh, very few youth seminars and conferences that are started, and I've had some great uh, friends and acquaintances, and I know Pastor Darrell has as well, that have started them, and some of them have become well-known, but they're no longer. In fact, uh, one of the large ones uh, actually just uh, collapsed a few years ago, and they had to sell everything they could. And so 30 years of continuous opportunity of impacting young people. I think that's great. Could we give the Lord praise again? It's, it's really, it's all about God. Wow. When we started 30 years ago, I had blonde hair. Now I have lighter hair. But uh, so it, it's, thankfully, it didn't go from blonde to white to black um, with, with my light eyebrows. That wouldn't look good. But thank you so very much. How many here tonight have been to an Ascension Convention for at any period of time, for any length of time, you were at an Ascension Convention helping, serving. Raise your hands up high. Thank you. You, you, get, you get better than the Purple Heart. It's great. It's marvelous. Thank you so very much. Wow. And uh, we would like to invite you to join us and be a part of this one more time. We're excited about it. Uh, I, I'm excited as a dad because uh, on the very first day of the very first Ascension Convention, our daughter Jennifer was born. On the very first day of the very first Ascension Convention, so it's always been easy to remember her birthday. It's just really neat. And so this year, we're going to be celebrating her birthday while at the Ascension Convention. It's great. Our lesson for learning tonight is going to be found in the book of Acts chapter 3. I tremble with Dr. Merrill Sr. being here. I tremble at the thought of even trying to bring you into that chapter because he actually carried the writing materials for Luke uh, when, when, when the book of Acts was written. Pastor Merrill Sr. was there. Tonight we want to talk about a culture of giving because this church uh, has the reputation, it has the the credibility, it has the integrity among hundreds of churches in the United States. You may or may not be aware of it, but this church has had a landmark uh, reputation and notoriety for being a church that has responded to uh, and, and generating a culture of giving. And so tonight, un unashamedly, unabashedly, I'm here tonight and tomorrow to thank you uh, for having that uh, great spirit of giving. And we're going to be looking at the book of Acts tonight as an example of uh, that whole environment of giving. But first of all, let's, let's begin with John chapter 3 and verse 16. Let's all say together the very first phrase. Are you ready? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, what? Everlasting life. God is the author of the culture of giving. He is the, he is the author. He generated the giving culture. We are here tonight because he gave. 
We are here this evening and your children are in the nursery and your youth are involved with activities and, and all of us, we're all better off because God was a giving God. I'm a better person because God is a giving God. And he set the standard and, and wow, he set that standard and he, he even showed us that even human people in our finiteness can be willing to, to give as Abraham at the voice of God was willing to offer up his own son as a foreshadowing that by faith Abraham was willing to offer his firstborn and only son as a foreshadowing that God would give his firstborn and only son for you and I. The culture of giving. So I'm not embarrassed to thank you in advance for coming over and helping to bring supplies to the Hyatt. I'm not embarrassed at all uh, to invite you to join T Pastor Merrill Jr. and I in the, out there to say you'll be there to help us uh, in the evening services. You'll be help, help, willing to just walk around and be there. You'll be willing to, to pray because, listen, the more you give, look, and I, 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 I just wrote down the quote. I wrote this quote down from a very well-known writer, speaker, pastor by the name of Daryl Merrill Jr. When he's, I, I quote him now. I wrote it down. When we give, God changes lives. I just, I wrote that down. I'm going to quote you, right? Is that okay if I can do that? I'm going to say, I know somebody, a well-known person, TV personality, voice of radio in, the, in Chicagoland, right up there with Erwin Lutzer, says, David Jeremiah, right? He says, when we give, God changes lives. Well, look on the screen. I believe we might have the scripture for us tonight. I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard. Uh, you can follow along with me. Acts chapter 3, we're going to get right into it, beginning at verse number 1. And two, two, two guys who you see all over the book of Acts, these guys are doing so many things together. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They were going up to the temple at the, at, at, at the ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they were going to pray. And a certain man, unnamed, because it doesn't really matter, because you and I encounter people all the time that are nameless. At the Ascension Convention, you're going to encounter hundreds of kids that you may never know by name, but you're going to encounter certain teenagers, certain young adults, certain youth pastors, certain, certain adult leaders from all over the Midwest. It doesn't matter about their name. What really matters is what they need. And what they need is who they need. They need Jesus Christ. They need God. They need the voice of the Lord. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along. And when uh, they used to set him down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg for alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began to ask them to give him some alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, walk. And seizing that certain man by the right hand, he raised him up. Immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened, and with a leap he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with him. 
walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonderment and amazement at what was happening. And then, while he was yet clinging to Peter and John, I love that phrase, he was clinging to Peter and John. Well, again, thank you. Uh, in one of the major trade magazines of conventions and conferences in the United States, the only trade magazine of the only association that's noted around the world for putting on Christian conferences and Christian conventions, they have a, a magazine, and I'm happy to say that in the most recent edition, which just came out, and it's the youth edition, talking about youth conferences, large and small over the United States, uh, they contacted Jennifer Schmidt and asked for her to put in an article, and so here we are downtown. Ascension Convention made it in the news. Amen. <laughs> Called Sonic Youth, and all kinds of organizations are in there, but we're in there, and I, I think it's great. You know why? Because we have a culture of giving. Every Friday, food is given away here in the gymnasium. Dozens and dozens and dozens from the neighborhoods come and they wait outside, wait to get a number, and every Friday volunteers from our church come early in the morning and they set up tables and, and people are fed all over the suburban area out of this gym. Every Wednesday morning out here in the hallway, all kinds of children with their parents of all different cultural environments and diversities come and they come there so that they can get children's clothing and they sit there and they wait and while they're waiting they're being talked to about God and about Jesus Christ and they're able to leave here with the finest and the best clothing that we can give for them. Twice a year the gymnasium is filled with all kinds of things that are given by you and given by others and so many of you spend hundreds of hours folding clothes and setting up stacks of things and, and thousands of families every year are reached in, in this giving. Every year we set up an angel tree and, and hundreds of children of parents who are imprisoned behind bars, they get gifts from you and they never know the names of the people who are giving gifts, but they get a little bit of life and a little bit of love from a, from a wonderful congregation here in the northwest section of the Chicagoland area. And we could go on and on and on. A matter of a few weeks ago, I came here on a Saturday and I could smell spaghetti sauce cooking in the, in the, in the kitchen and meatballs were being made and sausage was being ground up and it was phenomenal. It was dry driving me nuts. It was terrible. It was crazy. It made me come back the next day even though I was preaching that other church and I came back and yes I gave five bucks for my spaghetti meatballs. I was there to back it up. Well giving and giving and giving. I'd like to very briefly walk through this passage of scripture and tell you that there are a variety of characteristics about people who give and you are those people. You're constantly giving. So let's look at this passage of Scripture and, and just look at it for a few moments. Peter and John were moving up toward the temple. The church had just begun. The Holy Spirit had fallen in Acts chapter 2 and thousands were saved. But, they, but it was still that mixture of that, 
Jew and Gentile church that was still kind of amalgamating a little bit. And so, and they didn't have buildings like this, like we have today to, 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 to go to. And, and even before house churches really kind of got started in Acts chapter later on in 4 and so forth, uh, they, they, they went to the only place they knew where to go to pray and they, they kept going back to the temple. And so on this day, and according to Acts, Peter and John were on their way up to the temple. And, and I was just in Jerusalem a week and a half ago. I was there a week and a half ago. And I was there when Jerusalem received 10 inches of snow. Thanks a lot to global warming. Thanks a lot to global warming. 10 inches of snow in Jerusalem. The mayor of Jerusalem shut it down. You were not allowed to go in or out because they have no snow removal equipment. They don't have shovels. They don't have salt. And even though they've got hundreds and hundreds of square acres and thousands of acres of sand, none could be found in Jerusalem. And so you couldn't get in there. But our guide, who was Jewish, and our driver, who was Jewish, said, we're going to get to Jerusalem. And so they disobeyed the mayor, and we made our way to Jerusalem, and we got there. Snow everywhere. And, and for, for two days, without boots, because everybody's wearing gym shoes on this trip, we're trouncing through uh, snow, many places up to our knees, to go to the holy sites. It was amazing. But I think one of the most impactful moments is when we went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we went to the Garden Tomb, and there, as we went into the tomb where it's purported, the tomb of Arimathea that Joseph of Arimathea gave to, to Jesus to be buried in, we went in with snow just below our knees to enter into that, that empty grave. And, and I couldn't help but think as we were coming out of, the, out of the tomb with snow everywhere, though your sins be as scarlet, they're going to be as white as snow. And around that tomb, we had 36 people. 16 of them were, were Christian believers from the Chinese immigrant church from Toronto. And you want to see crazy people who really, really know how to pray and get into God. Get on a bus with 16 praying Chinese Christians. I mean to tell you. They speak in tongues without speaking in tongues. It's great. But here we are standing outside the garden tomb and there wasn't a, a person of, in the presence that wasn't crying as we're standing in snow thinking because God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that we could be in this, in this area filled with snow thinking that Jesus Christ washes that away. Well, let's look at, if I can, if you have something to write on the back of your note, let me just give you some of the characteristics of a, of a church that has the culture of giving. And the characteristics of a person that has that culture of giving. First of all, look at verse number one. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour of the, uh, and that ninth hour, the three o'clock time, the hour of prayer. I've discovered that spiritual givers endeavor to participate in spiritual practices. And spiritual givers not only participate in spiritual practices, but they, they participate in doing right activities. Peter and John ended up being able to be those that were giving, and they were doing that as they were on their way to doing right things. Now, the Pew Research Group in the United States will tell us that the largest giving segment in the United States, and in fact the largest giving segment in the world, are born-again, 
believers who go to church and they say the people who tend to give the most and tend, even if it's in small gifts, to give it continuously, the best and the most forward and the givers that you can count on are people in America who go to church. So givers endeavor to participate in spiritual matters. And Peter and John were doing that. They were endeavoring to participate in right activities, and they were on their way to church at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And they were there doing spiritual things. And you know what? It's in this atmosphere of worship that we had tonight, this atmosphere of prayer that, that, that is generated in our church. It's in this atmosphere that is a God-breathed atmosphere. When you participate in spiritual things, you open up your heart for God to begin to speak to you to become a part of spiritual activities. And one of those spiritual activities that you and I become part of is that activity of giving and giving and giving. Number two, look at verse number two and three, and you're going to find that spiritual givers are always willing to be interrupted. Because it was as they were on their way to go into the temple to pray that the need to become not at that moment somebody who was about to engage in prayer, but suddenly to be able to be interrupted by the needs of somebody else they were willing to have their routines interrupted in order to be able to be used by God to be a giver to somebody else's life need. Now, friends, you and I are in situations lots of times. We all have routines. We've got them. One of my routines is not to get up early to go to the gym. It's not my routine, so I never have to worry about giving on the way to the health club. But I could be interrupted on the way to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or Wendy's, or other things. You see, if you're a spiritual giver who is doing right things by engaging yourself in the household of faith, once you're in the household of faith, you'll begin to realize you're never really on your time to begin with. You're never really on your schedule to begin with because if you're a believer, you're always living and walking and breathing and doing things on God's time. And if God wants to interrupt your schedule to use you to be a blessing to somebody else, then let God interrupt your routines. Amen? Amen. Be willing to be flexible. Be willing to give up some of the kinds of things, the comforts of routines. Be willing to give them up in order to engage in giving life to somebody else. And for two and a half days, the very first weekend of April, Dr. Merrill Jr., myself, and hundreds and hundreds of teenagers, we're hoping that you'll set aside some of your routines and be willing to interrupt the routine of life and say, you know what, for a couple days, I'll come over to the Hyatt and I'll spend a couple hours. I'll come over there and I'll buy a room at the hotel so that I can just walk around and pray. I'll give up some time so that I can be in the auditorium of that, of, that, of that great Hyatt and just stand in the back and lift my hands and pray over those young people and pray and pray and pray. Now it's going to mean that, that a routine is going to be broken. It happened to Peter and John. But they were willing to have the routine broken because they were willing to allow God to use them and flow through them. In a moment, a miraculous miracle was about to take place, which wouldn't have taken place if they hadn't allowed their routines to be broken. Folks, we've got to be careful. 
We've got to be ever so sensitive in the spirit that when you are standing in line at Target, that American French store called Target, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's from Minneapolis, uh, Target is. Uh, I call it Target, it makes it sound so much better, or Jacques Chez Penier, or, or whatever store you go to, as, as somebody says, uh, you know, if you're from Albania, Walmart sounds like it's Saks Fifth Avenue. But if you're willing in those entire moments to understand that, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll give up some of my shopping. Maybe, I'll, in fact, I'll even, I'll even help Pastor Dan, our youth pastor, help sponsor somebody. I'll break up my routines because investing in youth is a great thing to do. And so they were willing to do that. Now, there were nine gates from the outer Gentile courts, from the, from the court of the Gentiles, there were nine gates that ultimately fed into the temple. The Bible says specifically that this gate, that this person who was there, they were, they were about to encounter, was at the, what, what was called the beautiful gate. Now, the beautiful gate was made out of Corinthian bronze. The gate was actually made, the entire gate was made out of Corinthian bronze. And when you get to go to Jerusalem, you're going to find that some of those gates, some of those huge doors, that although they weren't, aren't the original doors that were there during the time of Christ, the doors on some of those gates are massive. So you can imagine these massive gates of the beautiful gate covered with this Corinthian bronze. When the sun would hit it, it would look like it was, quote, the golden gate or like the, the golden bridge. It was gold. And, 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 th and they believe that that, that that gate drew all the beggars of Jerusalem because, because it just, it spoke about wealth, it spoke about money, and because it was in the custom of the Jews, it was the Jewish custom that when you went into the temple, you would want to make sure that if somebody was asking for alms, it was expected of you to give them something. And so... The, the beautiful gate, this gate covered in Corinthian bronze, was a magnet for people who were beggars. You and I encounter those individuals all the time, and you and I were one of those. Because once we were lost, and once we were depraved, and once we didn't have enough money to buy ourselves salvation and wholeness and hope in life, we're at a point where God intervened, brought his son, and God was willing to allow his son to break up the routines of heaven. Because of that, we have an opportunity tonight to experience Jesus Christ in that love. Look at, look at verse 4 here at this point. It says this, And Peter and John, when they saw this beggar, they fixed their eyes upon him and said, Look at us. I think the third characteristic of a spiritual giver is this. Spiritual givers tend to pay attention to the needs of others. Spiritual givers are never self-centered. It's interesting. Peter and John spotted this person before that person spotted them. They saw this man who had been lame. They saw this man who had to actually be carried there. In the morning he was carried there so that he could beg, and in the afternoon he would be carried back after he had been spending all day long. And, and he had been doing that. He had been doing it all of his life. Somebody carrying him there. Somebody bringing him there. He was totally dependent upon somebody else's life 
to bring him there and bring him back home. And on that day, as they were going into the temple to pray, to do spiritual things and engage in spiritual life activities, they spotted this man's needs. The Bible says that they paid attention to his need at the moment. And they were willing to be distracted, and they were willing not to be self-centered. It's interesting. When we traveled to Israel a week and a half ago, one of the persons that traveled with us was uh, a, a, an Orthodox rabbi uh, from Highland Park. I won't mention his name because I hope one day in the, in the not-too-distant future to have an opportunity to have Dr. Merrill have lunch with me and him. And, of course, it'll be a kosher lunch and at a kosher restaurant, and that'll be okay. But it was interesting because this, this Orthodox Jewish rabbi kept saying to us, he said, you know, I'm not even supposed to be on the bus with you guys because you are, you are, you are, and he kept going like this, you are, and I said, say it, come on, say it. The, the dog, say it, say it, say it. He said, you are, you, you, I'm not supposed to be here. But he said, this lady who you know, and I won't mention her by name, she said, Rabbi, you got to come on this bus. you got to travel with it. you got to see that Christians love Israel, and Christians will love you. And he stood up, tears running down his eyes with those nice big curls that these Orthodox rabbis have, and that big hat that he has. You know those big black Stetsons that they wear? Aren't you glad you don't have to wear a big black hat to go to church and Aren't you glad you don't, men, that you don't have to have your hair like that? Boy, you'd be spending more time in the mirror than your wife. Aren't you glad you're not having to put these things wrapped around your arm? Aren't you glad you don't have to carry that little black box? Aren't you glad that when you found Christ, we can pray anywhere at any time, and it doesn't take a whole lot of time to get ready to pray, amen? We can just pray. Well, he stood up and tears in his eyes said, I just can't believe it because you folks just seem to care so much for me. Friends, if you love God, you're going to care for people. Amen? If you love God, you're going to spot the needs of other people. And again, I can't thank you enough for whether you're folding clothes or giving food out here on Fridays or whether you're out here serving spaghetti on a Sunday to get youth. I, whatever, wherever you're at and no matter what you do, and most of the time we will never see your giving acts, but your acts will always be seen by God. But thankfully, please let the Holy Spirit help you pay attention to the needs of somebody. And never, ever, ever, ever become self-centered. Number four, spiritual givers inspire hope. They inspire hope in other people. Because as soon as they spotted this, this lame man, and, and they began to fix their, the Bible says they fixed their attention on him. I mean, they targeted the needs. They targeted the needs of that person. I believe as you're praying different times, the Holy Spirit might bring somebody to your, your prayer life, and, and you, you're not being called upon to give them any money. You're not being called upon to, to go see them. God might awaken you sometime early in the morning and so disturb you that he, will, he the Holy Spirit, won't let you go back to sleep until you pray for that person that evidently God is putting upon your heart. The best thing you can do is obey God, get up and pray, and then you're going to be able to go back and sleep, right? Right? Because if you don't get up and pray, you ain't going to go sleeping anymore. 
So if the Holy Spirit places somebody in your life to pray about or to encourage or to whatever, by you doing that, you're going to inspire hope. Verse 4 and 5, the Bible says this, that the man, as he noticed that they were giving him attention, and, 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 and he began to look at them, and, and he began, the Bible says in verse 5, he began looking at them with a, a spirit of expectation, believing he was going to get something from them. Wow. Hallelujah. Nothing like having an expectant heart. One of the things that you're going to find when you come to the Ascension Convention, all those kids are going to be standing there at the doors, outside in the lobby, hundreds of them, while Dr. Merrill forces them to stand outside. He won't let them in. He makes them stand outside. What a terrible, hard-hearted man he is. And they hear the music on the inside. Then all of a sudden, the doors open up, and they come rushing in. And at the Ascension Convention, there are no empty front rows. Did you ever notice that? They will come running in, and then the first note that, that, that uh, the, the people begin to play, they run to the front, and they stand at the front, and they stand there. They'll stand there for hours if they want to, if they can. Because the fact that we open up the doors, immediately hope begins to come. Look at verse number 6. Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. The fifth characteristic of a spiritual giver is that they always give what they have. Have you ever noticed that God never asks you to give what you don't have? He only asks you to invest what you do have. And thank you again for, for giving to help sponsor some of the youth. And if you haven't given, please, Pastor Dan is available to receive your gift afterwards. If, if, if your gift is in a matter of a couple of weeks, Pastor Darrell will have all the names of the churches up here. And if your gift is going to come one night and to pray for them, we want to thank you for it because, you see, God's only asking you to give what you have. Peter and John said, we don't possess any silver and gold, but I'm going to give you what I have. You know what those young people need? at the end of uh, the day at the Ascension Convention, what they need is just a lot of love. They need a lot of people just to love on them. As Pastor Darrell says, don't expect them to hear you. Don't expect them to listen to you. But boy, do they just need love. And when they see adults and young adults there helping and encouraging them, it's just, it's a whole new nature for them. It's a whole new animal. They're not used to people caring for them. And so you don't, have to, you don't have to give what you don't have, but whatever you do have, as a spiritual giver, give it to God. Look at verse number 6. Verse number 6 says, Peter again says, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give in the name of Jesus. So spiritual givers give what they have. Principle number 6 is this, spiritual givers recognize that God is their source. You see, because whatever you may not have, you can ask God to give you what you might need to have, and you can, in the name of Jesus, ask God to give you the strength to give you what you need to give somebody else a better day in the name of God. Verse 7 and 8, read this. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. 
I love this point in verse 7 and 8. Because givers are always willing to try even if they don't know what to do. They're willing to try. And when pushed to their limits, they will trust God. And I love this picture. He says, silver and gold I don't have. And this guy's been sitting there all day hoping to get a handout. And they disappoint him by saying, we don't have any silver and gold. But what I do have, I can give you in the name of Jesus. I have Jesus. I have the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I can give you what I don't have. And when you and I don't have something to give, we can, by the grace of God, be creative. And how creative is it for Peter suddenly to reach down and take that man by his hand and yank him up? Now, that's daring faith on the part of Peter. Because Peter didn't have any money. And what Peter recognizes is that what that man, that man didn't need money. That man needed a friend. That man didn't need money. That man needed to be saved. That man didn't need money. That man needed to be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so what he did, he reached out and took him by the hand, and that was an act of faith. And listen, when you give, it's always through an act of faith. It's always through an act of faith. You know, most of the time, including the, 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 the faith promise that my wife and I have filled out for that $60,000 to help improve the nursery and to help do different things around the church. So many of you have given to it. And thank you so very much. Look, at we're already, the pledges are already over the amount, but let's keep, let's keep reaching a little bit farther. And I can tell you honestly, the, the, the amount that my wife and I have promised, we don't have in our pocket right now. I keep asking Donna if she'd like to work more hours at the library. How would you like to take on another job at Walmart, dear? No, not really. We don't, we, as I'm standing here, we do not have the money. But you know who does? God. And I believe that as I exercise my faith and I reached out my hand to fill out that faith promise card, I believe it's as if I reached out and reached to the hand of that young man that needed healing, and I believe at the right time, and I think you're giving us until the 30th of June, right? Okay. Not the 31st of June. It's got to be the 30th of June. But I believe, by the grace of God, by the end of the month of June, we're going to have the money. I don't know how, but in the name of Jesus Christ, God's going to do it. And I believe next year when a baby is born and they don't name him after me, which I, was a mistake, everybody ought to be named Harry. Um, I believe as I walk by that nursery, I'm going to hear a little baby crying or laughing. And I'm going to know that that mom and dad is here in this church and they're being blessed and they're being ministered to because of something that Don and I believe that God could help us do. So by the grace of God, I can recognize that even when I don't have it, God is my source as well, and I'm willing to try, and when I'm pushed to my limit, I'm going to trust God. Hallelujah. And then look what happens. The Bible says, seizing the man by the right hand, he was raised up, he began to be strengthened in his feet, and he stood upright and he began to walk, and look at verse number 8. He entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. Let me tell you that, that temple service was never the same like it was that day. What happened? 
a man who had been seated on the outside and was, wasn't allowed to come in because of his ailment. In those days, the, 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 those days, if you had any kind of a physical kind of thing, you weren't allowed to come into the temple. But what happened on the out of the temple, because they were willing to give of themselves, he was healed and he went with them into the temple. I'm wondering... How many unsaved young people are going to be coming to the Ascension Convention? And on the very next day, when they leave the hotel and they go back to their homes, the very next day they will be going into church in Esterville, Iowa, or in Minneapolis, or here in Mount Prospect. We're going to have young people come into the church for the very first time who just two days before may have never been in the house of God. And they're going to be healed and restored and brought into the things of God. Well, I'm going to ask Leanne to come and we're going to do something as we prepare uh, by the grace of God to just take a moment together. Do you know, uh, a, a month ago, a very famous baseball player for the Cubs, an iconic leader of the Cubs, died. His name was what? Ernie Banks. It's amazing. All of you knew him, right? Ernie Banks. Today, they had another funeral service. And the funeral service today was for a man by the name of Minnie Manosa. And it just only seemed right that if one of the major baseball players for the Cubs was going to die, in order to make sure it was right, there had to be a, a famous baseball player for the White Sox. Just only fair. Well... Pastor Merrill Sr. and I often go to the Starbucks together. I love it. One day he buys me coffee. One day I buy myself. I buy coffee. One day he buys coffee. One day I do. You know, we could go Dutch, but that wouldn't seem right. Right? It would be terrible to think that you'd buy coffee by yourself. So one day he buys my coffee, and, and one day I buy his tea. We just kind of do it that way. We just do it that way. And, and when I'm in, out of town... Dr. Merrill will text me, I'm lonely, where are you? I don't, my, my, where's, where's, my, where's my coffee guy? And then I'll feel the same way. We've created a bond over the years. Every time I go into Starbucks, there's two newspapers I stand, and he'll tell you this, I'll stand at this newsstand at Starbucks, and I'll gaze the headlines of two newspapers. I just love it. I don't spend the money to buy it, because they're three bucks each. But I look at the Wall Street Journal, and I look at the section that I called my divestment page because I don't have investments. They all seem to be divesting. But I, I, like to read the, I like to read the Wall Street Journal and I like to read the New York Times. Now, I know it's a liberal newspaper, but I'd love to read it. Well, think about this. New York Times. Got to be pretty special. Not a mini Minosa. Not an Ernie Banks. But on September 9th, 1932, New York Times, September 9th, 1932, New York Times, it says, Annie J. Flint has died. New York's greatest Christian poet. Wow. You think you'd find that in the New York Times today? Annie J. Flint, the Christian poet, has died. 
She was known as the poet of helpfulness and the poet who liked to give things away. <laughs> I love it. She died at the age of 70 and she died in a sanitarium. She was orphaned at the age of six. Mom and dad died. She was raised by another couple. In fact, she took their name on to honor them. The last 30 years of her life, she was bedridden and couldn't get out of bed with a debilitating physical situation. She wasn't able to even move out of bed. But from the age of 40 until she died 30 years later, she became one of the best known poets in New York City. And she had the reputation of being able to write poetry, and she gave her poetry away as gifts to people. She would write a poem and send it to somebody as a gift. She would write another poem and send it to somebody as a gift. She'd write another poem and send it to somebody as a gift. Her poems were so well known that then people began to come to her and ask if they could pay her to write a special poem so that they could give as a gift one of her poems to one of their friends. And for 30 years while she was bedridden, she kept writing poems and giving them away and encouraging people with what she would write. And then people would pay her to write a poem and they were one of the most sought after things that people could give away in New York City. Well, just a few years before she died, her body became even more emaciated and one day she wrote this poem based upon this wonderful verse of scripture out of James chapter 4 and verse 6. God gives greater grace. Therefore, James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud, but he'll give his grace to the humble. And so she wrote this poem. You may have heard it. He giveth more grace when the burden grows greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth mercy. To multiplied trials, multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, God giveth and giveth and giveth again. And what became a national trend is that many of her poems were then written and composed to music. And this old great hymn was written at one of the worst moments of her life when she could barely write anymore. She could write this poem that God was still the giver of grace. Would you stand with me? And I've asked Leanne to help us sing this old hymn. Now listen, folks, this is old. This is an old hymn. Old, it's so old, it's retro, it's new again. How do I know it's new again? Because we're singing it tonight. It's new again. It's new again. But listen to this. 1 Timothy 2.6 Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for us. 2 Corinthians 8 chapter 1 through 5 it says this. 
God allows people to give out of their own accord. He said the Corinthians, they gave themselves first and then they gave what they had. Thank you for giving yourself to God. Because if you give yourself to God, God will know how to use you to give whatever He can through you to bring a lame person to come to Jesus Christ and bring that person into the presence of God. And so, James says this, He's the one who gives greater grace. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it says this about Jesus. Even in the Garden, the Bible says, Jesus went a little farther to pray. As we sing this old hymn tonight, some of you will pick it up like that. Brother and Sister Merrill, they'll pick it up like that. They'll lift their voices. For some of you young whippersnappers, you may not. But let's sing it together, Leanne, would you please? He giveth more grace when the birth...